Welcome to Tackling the NFL. I'm Josh Rosenberg. I'm here with my co-host, Adam Baltax. And I think Adam has something that he wants to share with all of us just to lead us into this week's episode that really explains what happened in the NFL this week. Yeah, I'm just going to read off a list of names here. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa, Cam Akers, Devontae Adams, Sterling Shepard, Paris Campbell, Jimmy Garoppolo, Raheem Mostert, Drew Locke, Solomon Thomas, Cortland Sutton, Tack McKinley, Ricardo Allen, Anthony Barr, Rashad Perryman, Frank Clark, Byron Jones, Malik Hooker, and 38 other players all left the game and did not return due to injury this week. That is ridiculous. Jesus I mean, Christ. I, I expected this to happen week one because of the no offseason. But, wow. that that This week, like, my feed was full of just... This guy is not returning to the game. This guy done for the done for the game. This guy done for the season. Yeah. Wow. Fantasy owners, I feel bad for you because anything could happen to your team this week. I got hit hard. I scored like less points than like I think two. I think I would have needed to have two teams combined to beat some of the teams <laughs> in my league this week. It was really bad. Uh, this week was weird because I don't think that it was a result of like a lack of lead up like a lack of training camp and so there was a bunch of soft tissue injuries i think it was really just a random week because if there was going to be something like that you would have seen it when everybody ramped up last week in week one with no preseason it all happening in week two makes me just think that this is just a ton of bad luck all all striking in one week or maybe sucks. or maybe they just weren't ready for like the recovery maybe they didn't have enough time to recover from all that time off and then suddenly a big game so That's maybe they were they were more prone but there, other than that, I can't think of any reason for this to happen. Yeah, there was a decent amount of soft tissue injuries, but there are some injuries. Like Nick Bosa and Saquon Barkley both tore their ACL. An ACL isn't an injury that you get from – And like, Cortland Sutton. And Cortland Sutton. That's not an injury you get from like maybe like going too hard after you hadn't done it in a while. That's something you get from generally like an acute action, and there's just not much you can do to prevent that. That's when like if you're a medical staff, there isn't something that you can have done to prepare somebody to not tear their ACL. I mean, if you're a medical staff right now, you don't know what's going on. All you know is that all these guys are checking in for all these different exams, and it's not looking too good for, for the NFL. There's going to be a lot of of sneaky pickups this week in fantasy football. There is. I've got bids on, like, four different guys, and the week isn't over yet, and I <laughs> that's in one league. But that yeah. week, I need to redo my entire roster. Yeah. Despite the rash of injuries this week, and if we wanted to spend this episode just talking about the injuries, we easily could for, like, a full hour. It would be way too easy but that wouldn't be fun and really sort of depressing so instead i think we should talk about how ridiculously good some of the games were and some incredible performances we saw this week so yeah i think today we're just going to go over some of our favorite things that we saw this week some interesting storylines some good things a couple bad things uh one more worse than others for adam and we're also going to be bringing in a friend to help us discuss the steelers and an incident that happened before the games so I think I'll lead us off because Adam, you just gave us the first storyline of the week, which was the injuries. Yeah, and and it was pretty much the the headline of this week because oh, absolutely, every it, it had an impact on every one of these stories that we have left to go. Yes, this one's going to be happy, although sort of sad for thirty-one teams in the NFL. I want to talk about Cam Newton because I want to know what. 31 teams in the NFL were doing. What were you thinking? <laughs> what exactly were you thinking? That if you take a six foot five, top 10 athletic, most athletic person in the NFL, a former MVP, for God's sake, a former MVP, not just a former Super Bowl quarterback. Yes, a former, a quarterback who took a team that was 
pretty mediocre by all accounts, as we saw after he left, and took them to the Super Bowl. He took them 15-1. and What were you thinking? You thought this man shouldn't be your backup quarterback. No. Mm-mm. Ugh. I mean, okay. it, all, Wait, all it took was the smartest coach in the league to pick him up. Yeah. Adam, I'm going to read you another list. You let, off, you let off with a list of people who are injured. I'm going to le- read you a list. Andy Dalton, Lane Gabbert, Brett Hundley, Colt McCoy, Jeff, Dr- Jeff Driscoll, Chase Daniel, Marcus Mariota, Case Keenum, A.J. McCarron, Chad Henney, Matt Schaub, Matt Barkley. These are all quarterbacks who signed deals this offseason for more guaranteed money than Cam Newton did. Bill Barnwell put this list together. Do you want to know? I didn't even read the most egregious name on this list. Do you want to know one more quarterback who signed a deal for more guaranteed money than Cam Newton? I this think I know is, where this is going, but go ahead. Yes. Yeah. This is so on the nose that like, you literally couldn't write this. Nathan Peterman signed a deal for more guaranteed money than Cam Newton did this offseason. He of the five interceptions in a single half. Yes, that Nathan yeah, Peterman. That, that Nathan Peterman. Oh, my God. Oh. I mean, I, I mean, it's not like we didn't know it was happening. Both, yeah. both me and you were perplexed when we, when we were sitting through this offseason and he wasn't going anywhere. We saw Joe Flacco get signed. We saw all these, you, you just mentioned, all of these. I don't, I'm, you know, bums that are getting signed yeah. ahead Half of... Half of these guys, I legitimately didn't think were still in the league, even though they're on rosters right now. Uh, if, if it weren't for Jeff Driscoll, if it weren't for Jeff Driscoll's game last week, I would have just put all those quarterbacks aside as bad. Because I still that's think they're they all are. bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I thought that Matt Schaub retired three years ago. I yeah, really he's just he sitting in the, Falcon, in the Falcons organization teaching... I don't know what he's doing. He's just kind of he, sitting there. Is he going to teach Matt Ryan? Kurt he's Blankert? Yeah, he's collecting a paycheck. I mean, good for him. But part of the reason this is so egregious, and it's obvious that some of the bias against Cam, and a large part of the bias against Cam, is rooted in racism, obviously. But this really points a finger at it when you see that Bomani Jones noted today that one of the few quarterbacks who didn't get more guaranteed money than Cam Newton was Jameis Winston. And Jameis Winston has a much more successful track record than anybody else on that list, I believe. And he's the only black quarterback. There aren't any other black quarterbacks on that it, list. It's, it's a clear correlation, and it, yeah. and it sucks. But, I mean, the Patriots aren't complaining. They're getting an, a top top 10 quarterback last week yeah. for minimum money. <laughs> Sorry, before, before we get into the game, because, yes, he was ridiculous this week, and I absolutely want to talk about it. I think that what we've seen is – some of the most successful quarterbacks in the NFL are black. I think that probably at least five out of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league are black, maybe more. I didn't, I didn't bother to count. What we've seen is that if you're really good, if you're a superstar, the NFL will happily accept you if you're black. But if you're not a superstar, you're not getting that job on the end of the bench. And so that, that is where we need to get to. It can't be that the, I think it was Doug Williams, who was the first black quarterback to ever make Super Bowl. And I might be misquoting. It might be somebody else. Who said I, this. I think he that's said, true. Okay. Oh. Yeah. He said that, that he'll know that the NFL has reached like racial equality or at least some figure of it when it's not when the best quarterback in the NFL is black, but when the worst quarterback in the NFL is black. Yeah. And so I think that this shows us how far we have to go for that. But okay. And sorry, I wanted to make that point. Adam, we both watched the Sunday night football game, Patriots against Seahawks. Just give me your first impressions of Cam Newton and the Patriots offense. Well, first of all, I just want to say that that game was a lot of fun to watch. It was awesome. Russell Wilson versus Cam Newton. I mean, you can't really ask for a much better matchup than that. It is clear that the Patriots know what they're doing with Cam 
and that he has fit into that system better than anyone could have expected. And that is going to be a scary team down the road. Like they, they had a first in two for the game against the Seattle Seahawks, who are one of the best teams in the league. And the Patriots just get better as the season goes on. I'm, I'm worried about the Patriots going on in the season. So you mentioned that first and two at the end of the game, as time expired, they ran QB power and it didn't work. But I want to explain why QB power is the key to their season and why QB power running when the Patriots run QB power with Cam Newton is going to transform the NFL and it's pretty much unsolvable. So what QB power is, for those of you who don't know, it's when you pull a guard, there's a fullback next to the quarterback uh, for QB power. Usually you do this with a, with two running backs on the field and one of them is a fullback. But when you have a, a quarterback who's so good at running and so big like Cam Newton, it's even better uh, when you can just throw in an extra offensive lineman. So you have a fullback lined up next to the quarterback and you pull your guard to open a hole with the fullback and the quarterback follows through. The Patriots used it against the Dolphins at least once the week before to devastating effect on the goal line. So for the first goal line possession, the Patriots ran a counter essentially to QB power on their first goal line possession because the Seahawks expected QB power stacked the box and the Patriots ran it the other way using QB power in the opposite direction Seahawks expected. They had no chance. On the second goal line possession, they faked QB power and they leaked out the fullback and Cam Newton threw a touchdown to him easily. He was completely uncovered. Then on the final play of the game, they ran straight QB power and the Seahawks guessed right. So you know what? Great job for the Seahawks. Well coached and well run by both teams. I think that you can't really blame anybody here. And if there's 10 seconds there instead of two seconds and they get like two or three tries at that, then I don't see any way the, the Seahawks opt out. Oh, yeah, they're going to be the, the Patriots are absolutely going to be adding on more and more variation to this one, like pretty much simple play, this one simple play. And it's going to become so hard to stop. But one other note, just to this play, if you're castigating the Patriots for not passing there, for not running some sort of trick play, uh, some sort of pop pass or something like that. I hope you're not someone who's saying that the Seahawks should have run the ball at the goal line against the Patriots in <laughs> the Super Bowl. Because you can't have it both ways. You really can't have it both ways. The Patriots are probably more effective running with Cam Newton than the Seahawks are running with Marshawn Lynch. So you really can't say that the Seahawks should have been running there uh, when you're saying that the Patriots should have been passing then. That, that's all I have to say. Yeah, and also it's becoming a little bit more understandable why the Patriots went out and got two tight ends in the draft. That formation with the, with the six linemen and the two tight ends, there's no stopping that. Mm-mm. They're going to be leaking those guys out too. And it's just going to be so hard to defend. Yeah. But you're going to see he, touchdowns from both Izzo and Keen later on this year. Yep. And Asiasi, who's, I think, yep. really the best receiving tight end out of all of them. He just hasn't gotten much play. Yet. But that's uh, but that's why he's not going to be getting any of the touchdowns. Defenses know that. <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. Before we move on from Cam, because I just spent a lot of time talking about how good he is running and how effective the Patriots and specifically Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick have been at exploiting that against defenses. I think that we should acknowledge that Cam Newton just had the best passing game that he's had in probably three years at least. He was so composed. He was he, so good. Yeah. He spent the entire game hitting tight window throws all over the field. He hit Julian Edelman down the field on crossing routes across Jamal Adams' face on multiple occasions. <laughs> I have like, never over seen and over. Julian Edelman so exhausted because <laughs> he had never run down the field so many times and he did that game. He was so tired. It was so funny. He was gassed at the end. I think that one thing. Where's Brady? I just like my slant. Yeah, he, he, he want, he's used to running those like seven yard slants where he catches and he falls past the marker or whatever. I think that one thing that this did illustrate and what's probably keeping the Patriots from really being a Super Bowl competitor, although I'd say that they are one, 
but from being a top Super Bowl competitor is that they really needed another wide receiver because Nikhil Harry just isn't it. He's proven that he can't break a tackle. He's just incapable of doing it. He doesn't have like the agility, yeah. I guess. Uh, he's just very slow. And he's, and so and he's think, not good enough. Like he's not fast enough or he doesn't have good enough hands to make up for that. Fall. Absolutely. He's like a significantly worse DK Metcalf who we saw dominate earlier in the game. Yeah, I guess. So Edelman's really good. And Cam clearly has a connection with him, just like Edelman did with Brady, but he needs at least one other weapon. So that who, who do you think they should go out weapon. and get? So I was thinking about that and I didn't have an easy answer. I, I meant to write down a list and then I totally forgot. I'm going to come back to you next week probably with this because I yep. can't think of anything off, off the top of my head. Yeah. Do, do you think they should go for a free agent or do you think they should try and trade for someone? I feel like if you go for a team like the Jets or something like that who just aren't really trying this year, you should be able to get somebody for relatively cheap. And I think the guys who are left like on the free agent market, unless you're – they're not, and they're not bringing back Antonio Brown. So it's like somebody like Des Bryant who's yeah, been out of the league thinking, for years. I was thinking but, Des Bryant. Des has been out of the league for years, and he pretty much has lost his burst. Like, the last time he was in the league, he wasn't very explosive. So I don't think that he's really the answer there. I think that if if they trade for somebody more like Jamison Crowder or um, even Brashad Perryman just to stretch the field from the Jets, who clearly aren't contending, that's a possibility. And it shouldn't cost Well, let's hope that Brashad Perryman's healthy first. I think I I saw that the injury wasn't major, but yeah, hopefully. That's another guy. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of good quarterback play this week. We saw we saw that matchup. We saw Cam go crazy. We saw Russell Wilson go crazy. But there was one performance that I I just I had to write about. Do you, do you know who I'm going? I'm leading towards. We are going to talk about Josh Allen, and I'm all for it because that was the most impressive quarterbacking performance. I maybe not necessarily just most impressive because maybe Russell Wilson might have been even more impressive. But a combination of impressive and unexpected. It was ridiculous. He was so good. Yeah, he was he was insane. Ignoring his. His one bad pass that was almost a pick six to Kyle Van Noy, he didn't throw many bad balls. It was it was just that one that that kind of uh, dampered his play. But besides that, I mean, there's a video of Micah Hyde and Jordan and Jordan Power reacting to his stat line after the game, and they just go crazy. I mean, 417 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, 147 quarterback rating. He's the first quarterback to have to have that good of a game in franchise history. He's having such a good season so far. I think that he's definitely, if you go through two weeks, he's at like in the MVP contention. My problem is, and I expected the Dolphins, the Dolphins defense to be pretty good this year, but they lost their big free agent acquisition, Byron yeah. Jones, very early in the game. And so Allen spent most of the game targeting Noah Binogani <laughs> and Nick Needham, who filled in for Byron Jones. And they clearly weren't able to stop Stephon Diggs or John Brown. I'm not saying that we should disqualify this performance for that, but because the Dolphins can't get pressure and they were down a top quarter a cornerback, it, it puts it a little bit more in perspective. I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider him significantly improved because just in the things that he's been doing, he looks very different than he did last season. I think I want to see it against a good team. And I think he probably can do it. And the Dolphins secondary is not even it's not bad. I mean, even without Byron Jones, that's a decent that's a decent secondary. But I mean, obviously, not having your cor- your number one cornerback is going to hurt. But yeah. I mean, still, Josh Allen has fifty seven completions on eighty one attempts, seven hundred nineteen yards, and six touchdowns. He joins three other quarterbacks to have seven hundred passing yards, seven hundred plus passing yards, six plus touchdowns, and zero interceptions in the first two weeks of the season. Can you name the other three? Just take a guess. Six. Sorry, six. Seven hundred passing yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions in the first two weeks. For just for this season. 
No, in all time. Oh, in all time. Jesus. Uh, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, uh, Russell Wilson. Close. Peyton Manning, 2013, Tom Brady, 2015, and Patrick Mahomes in 2019. But Do you say zero interceptions? Yeah. That's where I was missing. Russell Wilson has one interception. Got it. Because he, he fits all the other criteria. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that interception was not his fault. No, it was very much on Greg Olson. I, I, there's a video of Cam Newton running up and hugging Greg Olson before the game, and someone commented, uh, he definitely just whispered, hey, on the first pass, do you want to just tip it up and get a picture? <laughs> Double agent Olson. 8-8. Eight, eight. That's his oh, number, right? <laughs> Josh Allen played through a lot of adversity that game. I mean, they were missing their first two, their two best linebackers. There was a couple of really big Fitzmagic moments. Um, there's a lightning delay. They're, they were down a three-point deficit in the fourth quarter. I mean, Allen played well. I mean, that was one of the best quarterback performances that I've ever seen. Absolutely. I think that he was fantastic. The Bills play – they play somebody good next week. Sorry, I'm pulling it up. They play the Rams, who have looked really good, and I want to talk about next, actually. So I'll transition into that from this. But the Bills play the Rams next week, whose defense has looked really good. And so I think that that's going to be a very telling matchup. But so the next storyline that I wanted to talk about this week was the NFC West because every team in the NFC West looks like a top contender to win or a top or a top playoff contender at the very least. I think all four teams could realistically make the playoffs if they don't cannibalize each other too much. So let's start with the Rams. And I don't want to go too deep into any of these teams because we don't have that much time. But you know that the Undertaker gif where he's like, I'm back? <laughs> yep. That's Sean McVay right now. He's back. He's using all the sorts of play designs that were slightly more at like less common last season when the offense just sort of fell apart for a couple weeks. He's using leaks. He's using out routes. He's using lots of crossers because Jared Goff loves those and Cooper cup is great at them. And so he is using all of that creative play calling and he just ripped up the Eagles this week. And it made it a look a lot more legit because in the first game against the Cowboys, they were basically just thinking and dunking their way. He, he was going downfield a lot more and it was really impressive. Yeah, going into that game, I thought that the Rams were definitely going to need to rely on their pass rush with the Eagles' injured offensive line. They actually lost another offensive lineman during the game. But, I mean, Aaron Donald only had one tackle. I mean, they weren't as much of a presence as I thought they were going to be. Their offense actually had to carry them, which was not what I was expecting. Yep. Wentz did his hero ball thing again. I'm not even going to talk about the Eagles because I just don't want to. They're very depressing. (laughs) We can talk about them another week. But Wentz did his hearable thing. It didn't really work. The Rams forced at least one turnover, I think two. And they looked really good on both sides of the ball. I'm definitely looking forward to this Bills game next week. Yeah, that that might be the best game next week. Okay. Actually, Actually I take that back. I take yes, that back. I, we will talk I, about I Completely ignore what I just said. Yeah, we will talk about it next week at the end of this episode because I'm so excited already. But for the rest of the NFC South, the NFC West, God, uh, the Cardinals are very much a threat. I don't think they're going to win it because – or really contend for the division title because their defense just isn't going to be good enough they spent know. their top no they okay they spent their top 10 pick on a linebacker who can't who can't crack the rotation isaiah simmons was benched after two snaps or two series sorry two series in week one and he barely played last week and linebackers drafted in the first round almost always play so this is weird i think kyler's gonna keep them in a lot of games but they've played two terrible offenses in washington three more in the next three weeks that's fine. They'll pick up some wins now, but when they need to play the other teams in this division, I don't think that they can really beat them. That's, See, that's my have, concern. They have such a good schedule, though. 
I just can't. I, a- I, I can totally see them contending this year. I could, I could see them contending. Absolutely. I just think that when they need to play the Seahawks, I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury to beat Russell Wilson. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't see any way the Seahawks don't get first in this division this year. That, that's a little farther than I'd go. Just, I would put them as the favorites. I'm not entirely sure if I'd say that they're the best. But let's move on to the Seahawks because we saw their best player on offense and their best player on defense truly make the difference in this Patriots game. Because Russell and Wilson, that's, that's going to be the story for this whole season. It absolutely is. Russell Wilson was unconscious throughout both of these last two weeks, and Jamal Adams has just completely changed this defense. It's it looks completely different. Jamal Adams is the best pass rusher on this team, which is really the biggest concern <laughs> with them, and 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 the only reason that I wouldn't make them the guarantee, like not not necessarily a lock, but the reason I won't consider them as a lock for this division because it's too early to say that about anyone. They don't have anybody else who can get pressure, so I think that they need to start using Jamal Adams a lot more in the box because he's good in coverage. He's not bad but he's not the superstar that he is in the box. There was one play that uh, Adams lined up along the line, and then he noticed Newton started to scramble because he couldn't find anybody open, and he just got across the field so fast and dragged him down and forced a field goal inside the 10-yard line. That is what that is the value that he brings to this team that previous players haven't. Yeah, that was a great acquisition. I mean, you see him on every play. He's all over the field. Sure, Cam Newton did make him look silly quite a few times in the backfield, but yeah, he was getting there, and that was something that you can't say for anything else for anyone else on that Seahawks defense. And yeah. he stepped up when he needed to. Yeah, and that's exactly why I think that they should be using him in the box significantly more, just because Marquis Blair and uh, Quandre Diggs, both of whom left last night's game, Diggs because he was ejected. Blair, I think, is probably out for the season because he looked like he had suffered a pretty serious knee injury. That's what a shame. another injury. Yep, and he was looking good before that, so that's really a shame. I think that they're good enough in coverage that there's no need to necessarily – I'm not saying waste Adams' talents because he's still good there, but I think that his his ability is better concentrated in it, wreaking havoc in the backfield, I guess. Yeah, it's such a tough task to coach Jamal Adams because you know wherever you, wherever you put him, he's going to be a stud. It's just you don't know where you need to put him because then you're sacrificing the other position, and it, yeah. it's, it's a pretty tough task for that defense. Agreed. All right, a little bit more. The final team in the NFC West I want to talk about is the 49ers because they're 1-1. One one. So are they the only team in the division? Yeah, they're the only team in the division that's not 2-0, and which is crazy because in the NFC East, every team is either 0-2 or 1-1. and But the sure, 49ers sure, are just getting yeah. crushed by injuries again, just destroyed by them. And that's really a shame. Nick Bosa's out for the season. Uh, who, who else? Richard Sherman's on IR. George Kittle missed last week. Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo left the game. Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert, the yep. game. There's so many guys who are out. And that, that's brutal. That's really brutal. But they still have Kyle Shanahan, which gives them a chance in pretty much any they game. They still have and, Brendan Ayuk. <laughs> <laughs> and they just need, I think that they just need to tread water for the next couple of weeks until they get uh, Jimmy G back at full health. They get Richard Sherman back since the IR is only three weeks. And the next three weeks, they play the Giants, the Eagles, and the Dolphins. So I think that they still have a good chance to go at least two and one. And if they do that, they're very much in this race. So who's who's their new quarterback now? Is it Nick Mullins? Is he still there? No, I think Jimmy it is Nick Mullins is their backup, but I think that Jimmy G is supposed to be able to play this next week. He just didn't play in the second half because they were playing the Jets and they didn't need to risk it. I, I kinda wanna see how a new quarterback plays for, for the 49ers. I know a lot of their problems are not Garoppolo's fault, but it'll be pretty interesting to see if if a backup can do pretty well, kind of like how Driscoll did. 
Mullins actually looked pretty good two like I think two years ago when he last played. Yeah. But he he looked pretty bad in the second half of the game against the Jets. So I wouldn't necessarily like be hoping that he'd be playing. I think that they just need to get Jimmy G clicking a little bit more because I think he's a little bit of a rhythm passer. And I think that getting him into a little bit more of a groove, which they'll develop over the season, will benefit. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll start to throw less overthrown balls like the one that injured George Kittle. And Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that, that was so bad. I feel I feel terrible for Kittle because that should have been yeah. an easy touchdown. But that's basically all I had on the NFC West. I think that this one's going to come down to the wire with every team competing in it. And I think that we should just be focusing on this division for the rest of the year because every team in it has a chance to be the team of the week, essentially, on any I given mean, week. The, the MVP race is in this division. It's it's Wilson and Murray, and that, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I'm very excited. All right, what's your next storyline? You you can you can introduce this one. I don't really want to talk about it very much. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. I will start with a stat. All right, this is from ESPN Stats and Info. The Atlanta Falcons had 39 points with zero turnovers in their loss against the Cowboys. Entering this weekend, teams are 440 and zero when scoring 39 points with zero turnovers since 1933. Yep. Adam, how do you feel? Well, if, if you had told me that the Falcons would force four fumbles and recover three of them in the first quarter, that they would be up 19 heading into the second half, that Dallas would fake two punts and fail them, and they would still manage to lose, I would believe you. Because that <laughs> is the Atlanta Falcons. I oh. I mean, this was so unbearably typical. I was not surprised when it happened. I, I wasn't even upset at when it first happened. I was like, huh, makes sense. This yeah. team is yeah, this team can't finish a game. They can't. I mean, whether it's someone flying someone sending a flying knee out of the air to to hit a ball into someone else's hands, whether it's Julio Jones dropping the easiest pass of his career from Russell Gage, of all people, whether it's Alamide Zacchaeus not jumping on an onside kick that was right in front of him. It's just, it's not even one person. You can't blame Dan Quinn because he put them in a position to win. You can't blame Matt Ryan. He had over 400, he had, he had over four, he had four touchdowns again in what, 300 something yards? At least, yeah. Ah, oh, I mean, there's there's no solution to this. You just gotta win. Yeah, no, that's about right. There's there's just like a collective meltdown. But at the same time, I think that rather than blaming the Falcons, I'm gonna credit the Cowboys a little bit more because they very much could have given up. As you mentioned, they were down twenty to nothing at one point. They were down nineteen in the half or at the half, and they still managed to come back. Dak Prescott threw for like four hundred fifty yards. He ran for three touchdowns, threw for another. They got production from every single player. But this was, yeah, this game shouldn't have been coming down to the final play. It shouldn't have come see, down to an onside kick. See, I don't think you should credit the Cowboys at all because I this happens with any team. If the Jaguars, the the Jets, the Giants, the Bears are in that position, they're all coming back and winning. I hope you understand that. It does not matter the quarterback. It does not matter the system. It doesn't matter the offensive line. It doesn't matter the wide receivers. They are all coming back, and they are all scoring – three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and recovering onside kicks to win that game. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who, what the team is. That's fair. You're, you're in grief, but I would like to point out that Dak Prescott had 21.1 EPA on the day and they just, they got production from everybody. Like again, the most the cat- worst pass defense in the league. Sure. Sure. But it's 21, 21.1 EPA is a lot. The ball got to everyone. Dalton Schultz had the most catches on the team for God's sake. 
C.D. Lamb looked fantastic, which was really just insult to injury for the Eagles, who looked like they needed a wide receiver all game, and they were, could have traded up to get him. But yes, yeah, but two, a lot of C.D. Lamb's productions came because of Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup getting harder uh, coverage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's true. But with two and a half minutes left in the game, the Falcons had a ninety-five percent win probability. So only ninety-five. Yeah, you could have told me it was ninety-nine point nine, and it wouldn't have changed anything. To, to be fair, it, it was because the Cowboys were basically on the Falcons' goal line, and they were down by nine, and so then they scored the touchdown that they kicked the extra point. But mm-hmm. uh, so yes, at that point, this was it's just betting on an onside kick. Yeah, that's exactly what it was doing, and I think that we should just discuss how the Falcons just didn't know the rules. Because there's nothing else in this game to really like go too deep into. I think that this saved the Cowboys' season, and their game next week against the Seahawks became a lot more interesting. There's so there's a lot of reasons why I'm upset about this game, and very few of them are actually about the Falcons because this doesn't surprise me. As a Falcons fan, this is what I signed up for. But yep. I'm so upset that after the Cowboys, <laughs> oh, just seeing Jerry Jones that happy just irks me. That, that's fair. Uh, Mina Kimes wrote on Twitter, the Falcons were hoist upon their own petard, which is a Shakespeare quote, and they were basically stabbed with their own sword. I, I don't think I would have put it that eloquently, but it's exactly right, because the Falcons calling, not necessarily calling card, but like the most unique thing they've done in the past couple of years is their success with onside kicks with Young Hoku, and the fact that they lost because of an onside kick is extremely ironic. Well, I mean, the, the difference is when Koo kicks the onside kicks and Foye receives the onside kick, their other team is trying to get the ball. <laughs> the difference yeah, he... here, if you understand what I'm getting at from my connotation, is that the Falcons didn't try to get the ball. <laughs> the Falcons did the thing where it's like where the punt's like trickling down and you're hoping it's going to bounce backwards. And all the guys on the team are like standing around it, <sighs> like huddling around it to like, and before somebody picks it up, but nobody picked it up and the Cowboys just fell on it as soon as they crossed 10 yards. It was incredible. Oh, I mean, I no, yeah, and then I saw a headline like an hour after the game. Dan Quinn defends special teams for <laughs> on the confusing rule, and that at that point I shut off my phone because I, I was I was done. I mean, that man should not be defending clear. I mean, just delinquency. See, the difference between a Falcons fan, as you can see, and a Dolphins fan like me is that. The Dolphins were actually in a one-score game. They very much had a chance to win against the Bills, but I'm completely numb to their losses, and I just expect it. And so I wasn't at all surprised, and it doesn't really hurt me. Adam is very much in like the very first or second stage of grief. It's because we're good. We have a good team. <laughs> we have a good structure. We can't. We're not bad enough so that we can get a good pick and maybe make a move towards the future, because we have Grady Jarrett. Deion Jones, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Alex Mack. We have a solid core. Now we have Todd Gurley, Dante Fowler. We have a solid core that'll get us six or seven wins. But that's not enough. It's these games that we need to win and we can't do it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. We spent a decent amount of time on this, which is very much merited because it was the game of the week, or at least craziest game of the week. It was the uh, game of the week. I can say that unbiasedly. It was the game that people will probably remember most, but I think the game of the week was the Seahawks uh, Patriots. Fair, but... fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, uh, and maybe this we're still, we're doing this before the Saints Raiders game. So if it's like a sixty to seventy game, don't blame us. 
<laughs> the idea that the idea that a Derek Carlin offense will get sixty or seventy is a little ludicrous. It was yeah. a hypothetical. That's true. That's true. Uh, Adam, do you have any more storylines that you want to hit? No, that, that, I, even if I did, I'm 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 kind of sad now. All right, I'm gonna do one more, and then after that, we're gonna bring in our friend Seth Novak to discuss the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the final thing I want to talk about this week is not nearly well. That's actually about as depressing as the Falcons. Just neither of us are Vikings fans. That was one. The Vikings put up one of the worst performances by a team that was supposed to be good in the past, like five years, I'd say at least. I I, I didn't look at my phone. I didn't look at that game for like twenty minutes. I turn on. <laughs> Cousins has what sixty yards, three interceptions, no touchdowns, and they're down by twenty five. He had a passer rating of fifteen, I think. Fifteen. Oh, God. So I don't even want to talk about the game because the game is irrelevant. What is very, very clear is that the Viking season is over. They're not going to be anything. And we need to look forward into the future because Kirk was awful. Kirk Cousins was a disaster. And he's clearly not the quarterback of the future. He's old and he's just not going to get them to a Super Bowl. And they also have, they just recently extended a running back, Dalvin Cook, for six years. He's under contract guaranteed for $27 million for the next two years. And then they can take a $6 million cap, uh, dead cap hit just to get out. And that's... Back, that's like in 2024, I think, or 2023. And you know what would really be nice for the Vikings? You know what they could really use? <laughs> what could they, could they use, really use? I think they could really use a second wide receiver who can get open one-on-one when hmm. all the coverage is on Adam Thielen. Wouldn't that be cool? Hmm. I wonder who I wonder who they could use as that position. Like, I can't remember any Vikings second wide receivers that took coverage away from Adam Thielen. Man, that's wild. It would be so. It would be so. Good, <laughs> and and yes. and I don't think that 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 second wide receiver could possibly be playing insanely well with a different team right now. No, 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 no. Because he clearly was playing with the best quarterback in his career. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna drop this. You know, <laughs> they could they could very much use Stephon Diggs. They could use. They need a lot of help. Uh, losing Anthony Barr was probably the last straw because their only redeeming feature on this team was their linebackers uh, with Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr. And now the Barr's out for the season with a shoulder injury. They're very much done. I don't know how bad this team can get, just like if they're going to be in contention for a top five pick. But if they are if they have a top five pick, I think they're taking a quarterback. See, I 100% agree. I think that they are they should tank this year. I know it's illegal to intentionally tank, but I don't think they're going to have to intentionally tank. This team is awful. Yeah, they're very much in a full tank, essentially, without at all intending to do it. I'm wondering if uh, Mike Zimmer is going to keep his job. I because highly it, doubt it. So that's the thing. He's been so good for them. He's been so good for them, and he's been one of the better coaches in the league, but he stifled their offense for years because he hasn't let them pass enough. And if they bring in a new rookie quarterback and they just don't let him throw because Mike Sandberg believes that an offense – and he's a defensive coach, so he has really, he really shouldn't have any say in this because he believes an offense should be running the ball at least 20 times a game. It's going to be very hard for them to progress, and it's going to be very hard for this team to, to ever reach like the upper echelon that they actually want to hit. So I think that they, they hit their ceiling with this core, and I think they need to start over. And it's yeah. hard because they're completely capped out. Most rebuilding teams aren't capped out going into their rebuild. That's brutal. Yeah, they, they are probably they're probably in the worst possible position out of any team right now. Probably the biggest pro of this team right now is that they're 0-2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, they lost to a team that didn't even look that good while beating them. I think that the Colts can definitely get better, and I think that I'm not counting them out at all, but the Colts didn't play all the well, and they just didn't finish their drives. They had to kick a ton of field goals. Yeah, I mean, but, the Colts lost to the Jaguars last week. 
we didn't talk about the Jaguars, but the Jaguars look awesome. And I think we'll talk about them next week because the stuff that Jay Gruden's doing is super cool. Yeah, and Minshew too. I mean, wow. Yeah. Oh, no, the combination of Minshew and Gruden is super interesting. Yeah, I don't think we necessarily have time this week, but we will talk about it in the future. Hopefully, if they keep winning. It's a shame, though, because I think you texted me yesterday during the games. Neither of us picked the Jaguars go 8-8. Eight and eight. So, that's, neither of us, <laughs> neither I, of us take I, credit. Yeah, I had the choice. I was like, okay, I can either pick the Steelers losing eight games or the, the oh, shoot, or the or the Jaguars winning eight games. Or the hmm. Chiefs starting 0-4, I think. Okay, I, that one, that one, I yeah, I didn't even think about. And then I just I went with the Steelers because I was like, there's no way this Jaguars team. I had them at seven and nine, and I I didn't think that they could win eight games. In retrospect, hit, I was wrong. For you to hit on this bet, the Steelers need to hit nine wins. Sorry, <laughs> nine losses, which yeah seems pretty unlikely because they've looked pretty good this season so far at the very least. So we're now gonna bring in Seth Novak to discuss the Steelers. And now we welcome in friend of the pod, Seth Novak. Seth is one of our friends from school. He's a football fan. He's a Steelers fan. He's just generally knowledgeable about the sport. And so we wanted to bring him in to talk for a little while. And so to open this up, Seth wanted to talk about something that's a little bit separated from the actual football on the field, but very important to the context of the world around us and the NFL. So Seth, do you want to explain? Yes, I'd love to. So what I wanted to talk about is Alejandro Villanueva. The thing about it is, the sport in general is a sport, but you can't leave it as just that. No matter what, it's going to be like as part of the world as it is right now. So something he did during like week one, I think it was, is where the Steelers team as an organization decided to put Antoine Rose Jr. They decided to put his name on the back of their helmet in support of victims of police brutality. But... Uh, Villanueva, who was an army ranger, decided to not do that. He actually decided to put the name of a sergeant who had died in combat in Iraq. His name was Alwyn Cash. And I mean, it's just, it's just kind of funky because there's nothing wrong with him supporting someone who died in combat, but it's kind of weird to protest a protest with a protest, you know? Yeah, so I'm going to give a little bit of context on all of this. Alejandro Villanueva is uh, the Steelers' offensive tackle, I think right tackle. And as you mentioned, he's a military veteran. Alwyn Cash is a black veteran who was killed in combat. That was clearly a choice. He clearly chose to do a black veteran. This guy was killed back in 2005. This wasn't something recent. What he was doing... Oh, and sorry, one final bit of context that is incredibly important is that he didn't choose to add Cash's name because all, yes. the Steel- all of the Steelers had Rose's name on their helmets. He didn't choose to just add Cash's name to his helmet. He covered Rose's name and put Cash's yep. name on top of it with like tape, essentially, like with athletic tape. So yep. that was a very conscious decision to basically disregard the brutality that happened to uh, Antoine Rose and to prioritize, I guess, yeah. Owen Cash's. And that, that's that's where I think so much of the issue comes from. Adam, what's your take on all of this? Yeah, this was clearly, Villanueva clearly thought that he wasn't doing anything wrong and that he was just pushing for his own type of awareness. As a former military officer, he clearly feels closer to cash and can relate a little bit more to that. It was not seen as like an attack maybe on Antoine Rose's name or to try and state that his problem was better than that. At least that's what I've gotten from interviews. 
Um, Mike Tomlin says, as an organization and, and myself as the head coach of the organization, we're going to support our players however they choose to participate and express themselves. So it's clear that the team around him are supportive. Some people were taken aback by it at first, but especially um, Antoine's mother, she was like, she was not happy with Villanueva for doing that. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense. I, it, obviously, when you're trying to push awareness for something, and Villanueva has a history of standing up for his own beliefs, uh, on the contrary of the Steelers, mm-hmm. I think 2017, yep. he came out of the locker room by himself for the national anthem. It's it's clear that he likes to fight for what he believes in, but I think sometimes you should go with the team and well, fight and for a bigger cause. The problem is, I don't think it's about the team. Because it's one thing about just solidarity with your teammates. It's another thing to... There's lots of, So the thing is that there's lots of different kinds of oppression. And when you're fighting against oppression, I don't think that he's fighting against oppression as a military officer. I'm not trying to conflate that at all with the Black Lives Matter movement. My point is, is that it's really important to not put one movement down when you're trying to promote another one. And I think that's very clearly what he did. And that is my problem with it. And then this following week, so he did this in week one and week two. In week two, the Steelers Center, Murphy's Pouncey, chose to wear the name Eric Kelly, who was a police officer who died in the line of duty and also a black police officer. And he chose to wear Eric Kelly's name over Antoine Rose Jr.'s name. So See, that it, one, that one, in my opinion, seems a lot more like an attack on the protest because he is taking the aggressor of the problem and putting him over the victim, which yeah. I feel like Not, is a much more direct approach at, at, I don't know, protesting his protest. I think that's true to an extent. But the thing is, is that there's still the sentiment in in the country that the Black Lives Matter movement, well, not necessarily the Black Lives Matter movement, but kneeling for the during the anthem is an attack on the military. And we could get into the history with Kaepernick and why he chose to kneel instead of sit and how he talked to military veterans about this and how he thought it would be the most respectful gesture. But clearly some military veterans, including Villanova, think that is disrespectful. And yeah. that's just, that's where we're still at. And I really thought we'd move past this. Go ahead. I think an important thing to mention is stepping into like, their shoes for a second there's a lot of controversy around Antoine Rose in general about what happened with him so what happened initially is that the um essentially people thought that he had commit a drive-by shooting and had run from the police and was later shot because he ran and I mean even that in of itself you shouldn't shoot someone even if they're guilty but it's the I think that they don't know the full story because the the initial story was that, but then it was later like revealed that it was actually another person in the car who had done the shooting, and he later pled guilty to doing that in court, which I mean proves his innocence. So I mean I think it's it might be a little bit of misinformation that also had to like had to deal do with that. Yeah, and That's- you can and you can clearly see that with Pouncey's Instagram post on Thursday. He said. I was given I was given limited information on the situation regarding Antoine and I was unaware of the whole story surrounding his death and what transpired during the trial following the tragedy. I should have done more research to fully understand what had occurred in in its entirety. So it's clearly a lack of information, but Wait. I think that what Adam, let me let me cut in, sorry, quickly. About about Pouncey. Did Pouncey say this that he should be wearing Rose's name or that he shouldn't be wearing Rose's name? Because what I'm reading right here from a Pittsburgh newspaper, I think. Uh, Pouncey said that he researched the situation and chose not to wear Rose's name, right. which is something and, very different. And I no, and I'm saying what Pouncey said on Thursday after the whole situation went down 
he is clearly saying that he was given limited information. I don't think he's defending his choice, but I also don't think he's regretting anything. I think he's just making a general statement about how he didn't know much about the Antoine situation. Okay, so that's fair. I think that we've talked a decent bit about this. I think it's just really important to discuss these things because social justice movements have moved a lot slower in the NFL than they have in leagues like the NBA and in other places around the world. And so when we see progress, it often comes with steps back. And I think it's important to understand the causes of all of that. Yep. What do you want to talk about next then, Josh? So, Seth, you're a Steelers fan, but you haven't been quite as big of a Steelers fan since for a couple of years since uh, Le'Veon Bell left and Antonio Brown left. And it looks like we might be at the very end of the Killer Bees era. Two of them are gone. Ben Roethlisberger is the last one left. And I don't know if you guys have been watching the Steelers these past couple of weeks, but Roethlisberger doesn't look quite like he did back in 2018. Do you guys have any thoughts on this? This one I might have to think a little bit about. <laughs> yeah. The, the Steelers are clearly not the same team that they used to be. Not the not the Super Bowl uh, winning team from 2010. No, okay. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I was thinking 18. No, no, no. I'm, I'm on a completely different level than you right now. I'm sorry. Um, when, when was that Steelers win against the Cardinals? Was that 2011? That sounds about right. I'm not entirely yeah. sure if that's exactly and they, right. They, ever since then, they haven't been the same team. I mean, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, that was their, that was their best chance. Antonio Brown was really never the same after that Vontez perfect hit. The team went downhill. And now we're seeing the Steelers struggle to beat teams like the Giants and the Broncos. Only being the Giants by 10 points and the Broncos by 5 is not looking good when you're coming up against, when you're coming up against better teams like the Texans and Titans in the next two weeks. So I I don't know they they kind of seem like a like a, a good team but not good enough to make it to that next level. Yeah, not to mention Broncos by five when the Broncos were missing their best player on offense, their best player on defense, and their starting quarterback. Yeah, it, it's not looking too good for the Steelers, but they're two and zero, so so you can't count them out yet. Yeah, Seth. So do you have any thoughts about where the Steelers should go next from here? So what I was going to mention is back in like 2018 or something like that, when them and the Jags looked like really good teams, which I mean, just kind of came out of nowhere. But it's just weird how after that 2018 season, they both just fell off completely. And I mean, for the future, at least, I think, I mean, they already have for this season and the past season, they're going to rely on Juju more. It, you can't place all of that on one person. I mean, also on um, James Conner, but it's just, you need more supporting cast to be able to like actually compete. So I think their defense is still probably top three or four in the NFL, same as it was last year. Last year, they led the league in turnovers, forced, I guess. And this year, they're already tied for second at the very top of the chart. They're still doing all that stuff. We expect turnover regression, obviously. Led by TJ Watt, there's very few teams that really match up with them well. The, yeah, the real problem is going to be on the offensive side. James Conner's in the last year of his deal, and I could see them moving on from him. I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen there. Juju is also, I think, in the last year of his deal because he was a second-round pick, and they need to decide whether to extend him or not. I think he might be in the next to last year of his deal. And then Deontay Johnson actually finally emerged. He had, he had like all the hype throughout the entire offseason. He looked really good this past Sunday. I think that's the key to their, their future. If they can t- turn around, get another quarterback, and build around that core, there's a chance. Yeah, and and they got to get a couple more weapons, too, on offense. I mean, James Washington as a wide receiver three is not going to cut it. He's really only a deep threat. Ben Roethlisberger, if he has a second wind, then maybe they could make some sort of push with the new core. But really, I think 
if the Steelers want to do anything in the future, it's got to be a, a different quarterback. Yep. All right. So one last thing before we go, you said they need a different quarterback. And I saw on Twitter today, somebody mentioned the idea of them trading for Sam Darnold uh, if the Jets draft Trevor Lawrence, which looks like it has a decent chance of happening. What do you guys think? I'll start with Seth. How do you think this bodes for the Steelers future, just from what you've seen from Sam Darnold and just the basic Steelers organization? So I think a lot could happen. I mean, the thing that's going around is, at least for the past two years, there have been a lot of quarterbacks that do well in their first or second season and then don't really, that aren't really able to keep that going. I mean, with Sam Darnold, he's definitely shown that he's a solid quarterback. And I mean, you could see the same with the old Ben Roethlisberger, but it's a different team. So how it's going to translate is I'm not super sure. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, I really think it's the change of scenery, which which could really help Darnold. I don't care where it is, just not the Jets. Adam Gase has ruined <laughs> that kid's career. Really I has. mean, he was looking so good coming out of college, and then he went to the worst possible situation with the worst possible coach. Maybe with the Steelers, Mike Tomlin can do something to turn him around. But, I mean, just get him out of New York. Yeah, I agree. The, the reason that I think that this is like a viable idea is because the Steelers are never going to draft high enough with Mike Tomlin, no matter how much they bought him out. They're still going to probably end up hovering around 8-8 eight and eight at least. As we mentioned before, they've never had a losing season with Mike Tomlin. So I don't think they're going to have a high enough draft pick to draft a top quarterback. And so because of that, they need to be more creative to find like their bridge to the future. So that's why yeah, we were talking about the Falcons earlier, how they're in that weird limbo zone where they have a good enough core to get them seven, eight wins, but not a good enough team to get them to a playoff position constantly. So I think it's really needing to make that switch. Yep. All right, Seth, anything else you want to talk about before you head out? Um, yes, I want to mention that Alex Smith is stupid and he should have retired. I cannot agree more. I really, really hope that guy never sees the field for his sake and for his health. Yeah, I, it's just, sure, you can love the game, but after that, that's when you're like, okay, maybe I'll be a coach or something like that. Or like coach my kid's team because it's... It, <laughs> He's been hit in the head too many times. To be back on the yeah, he got no, like, no, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Adam. Go ahead. No, notice how when Joe Theismann got hurt, he just stayed down and retired. Like that that's a smart that's a smart decision when you get folded in half. Uh, <laughs> I think I think Alex Smith should probably have taken a taken a note or two from that. But I mean, I don't think he's ever gonna see the football field again. He might come on for a knee at the end of a game just for like a big happy moment like Ryan yeah. Chazier walking at the draft or something like that mm-hmm. but I mean there's no, there's no real chance that they put him in at least I hope not yeah, yeah. yeah. that's exactly what I'm thinking thank you so much Seth Novak for joining us on this episode we're now going to close it out with uh looking forward to next week's games all right yeah see you guys so this has been a really fun episode we covered all the fun stuff some of the not so fun stuff that we wanted to talk about this week uh, it was very much an interesting week of action. I need to go figure out how to like revive a dying fantasy team. But before we go, I just want to look ahead to next week's games because this is an awesome slate of games. And when you look at the NFL Week 3 2020 schedule, the first game that jumps out at you is Dolphins-Jaguars. Yep. Thursday Night yep. Football. 100%. Minshew Mania versus Fitzmagic. It's going to be crazy. 
Oh my god. So no. Okay. <laughs> there there actually are some awesome games. So I mentioned Rams Bills is going to be really good. Two teams that have looked not necessarily that much better than we expected, although in the case of the Rams probably, but two teams that haven't played very good teams and so we're going to definitely see them against much stiffer competition. Yeah, honestly, uh, Josh Josh Allen's been pretty underwhelming to me. I mean, <laughs> I expected more. <laughs> so, you're taking your victory lap on Josh Allen. I'm still proud. I, I'm still happy with my uh, Dak Prescott homerism because the Cowboys mm-hmm. are going to play the Seahawks. And I think that that is going to be very much an offensive shootout because I don't think either team's defense is all that good. If I had to bet, I'd be taking the Seahawks in this game, though, just because their defense looks a little bit better than the Cowboys. What about you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that this is going to be an offensive battle. I don't think either defense is good enough to stop either offense. But I yes. do think that the Seahawks are just better in late-game situations. Obviously, the Cowboys beat the Falcons, but, I mean, that wasn't the Cowboys. That was the Falcons. I don't think that in a in a shot-for-shot battle against Russell Wilson, the Cowboys will be able to do it. I think the difference between the two teams is the Seahawks defense can get that one turnover you need to turn the, like to flip the game. I don't think the Cowboys defense has that in them. That yeah, might be wrong. Their think... linebackers are strong, but there's there's no there's no telling what that secondary can do. Yeah, I mean, I don't even like their linebackers anymore with Leighton Vanderash out. But uh, yeah, I think that's the difference between those teams. The Sunday night game is awesome. Also, we have the Packers versus the Saints. Who do you have in this one, Adam? I personally am going to take the Packers. Obviously, I've only seen one game of the Saints, and we're going to see them again tonight. But for what I've seen of the Saints and how underwhelming Drew Brees has been, I'm going to go with the Packers. Yeah, we're yeah we're as we mentioned, we're recording before the Monday Night Football game. Since I don't believe in Aaron Rodgers, and I made that clear, uh, I think, and he has played well so far this season. So absolutely going to give him credit for that. But I'm going to bet on the Saints, partially mostly on their defense but the very final game that we should be looking forward to next week. And it is going to be the single best game of the season, or at least single most uh, hyped game of the season, probably prior to the Super Bowl, if I had to guess, is Chiefs-Ravens Monday Night Football. Oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, get your popcorn. This one is going to be intense. We record on Monday nights. We might need to change that for this next week. Yeah. It's the best two teams in the AFC, probably the best two teams in the NFL. This is probably your AFC championship right here. We're going to get to see some crazy battles. Do you remember that Rams-Vikings game, Kirk Cousins versus Jared Goff <laughs> dueling out in the Coliseum a couple years ago when it actually like was a crazy good game? Yeah. I'm uh, hoping for a better one. I'm hoping for that Chiefs-Rams game in Mexico that so City. That was such I'm, an awesome game. Yeah. that If we can have anything close to that level – Maybe a secret star like Samson Ebukam stepping up and, and stealing the show. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. So then we'll see all of you after Chiefs-Ravens, after all those fun games next week.